Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. We doing good? All right. That was not great. I got to be honest. I have 82% more energy than you do today. I can already tell you. Everybody doing all right? There we go. That was better. That was better. And I, I, it didn't extend, though. It was just a woo. That's all I got. Let me give me a little bit of woo-hoo, if you can just make it extend for just more than a second. Everybody doing all right today? All right. Hey, there we go. Good job. Good job. I just pulled it out of you. Some of you are so uncomfortable right now, you're never coming back. That's all right. This is one of those woo-hoo churches. You don't like those churches. That's all right. Hey, we're glad that you're here. Hopefully, you've been greeted about 9,700 times today, and hopefully, you will another dozen or two dozen. Uh, But no, we're glad that you're here. Welcome to Canton Church. And uh, I am excited about Life Group launch, and and you already heard it, so I'm not going to reiterate that. Uh, But you need to get in a Life Group, and and we'd love to help make that happen. So today, make sure you just bump into one of those people wearing the shirts and talk to them and go online and get registered. Uh, Life together really is better. You, You need to be in a group. We would love to help you make that happen. And you heard next Sunday's Baptism Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Every Sunday that we do this, we do this a couple times a year. Uh, Every time that we do it, it's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. I love watching people go public with what God is doing in their life uh, because it's a special thing for us to just be able to celebrate with you and to hear what God's doing. And so if you have recently made a decision to follow Christ, uh, your next step is baptism. Uh, But maybe you say, hey, you know, I've been following the Lord for a while. You know, maybe even I was baptized a long time ago or a while ago. Um, There's nothing, you know, wrong with you getting rebaptized, if that's even the right word, to say, hey, there's a new commitment I've made in my life. Maybe our marriage was on the rocks, and and we just believe, like, God has restored our marriage, and we want to go public together. We would love to celebrate with you. Uh, and just allow you to go public. Again, it's just, we don't believe that baptism saves you. We believe that it's that public demonstration of what God's been doing privately. So we'd love for you to be a part of that special, special day next Sunday. But uh, today, I'm really excited to conclude our homemade series. So here's what we did a couple weeks ago. We started building a house. And the first week, we just had the studs up, and we talked about the foundation of the house that was being built. And all of this series has really been based out of Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, where it says this. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And what we talked about in that first week is that God is building a house. He's building our lives if we will allow him to. And if we allow God to build our lives and to really do something in our lives, then it really matters what we build our lives on. And we started right up front with what Jesus said in the first sermon that he ever publicly, in the first public ministry that he had there in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the, uh, the st- streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And we said that Jesus Christ cannot just be an ingredient in your life. We believe that he needs to be the foundation of your life. Who he is, who he was, and what he did on the cross, that is the foundational piece of our lives. And so we talked about that foundation 
And then we went to Romans chapter 8 and we said that then as God is building our house, he's building us in the shape, in the image of his son Jesus. And so our lives begin to take form and take shape as we build it on the foundation of who he is, then we begin to look more and more like Jesus. That's what the house looks like. That you start with these blueprints, you start with this plan that the architect has an idea in mind before they ever put the first cornerstone down, before they ever throw up the first two by four, because there's a plan. And God's plan for you is that you would be made into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, as he builds you, his house, and he builds me and he builds our lives. And so then last week, what we talked about came right out of Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse three. It said this, by wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. And through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And we talked about the idea that as we put the drywall up last week and we built out the rooms, we began to fill it with the treasures of our lives. And those treasures are the values by which we live. Those things that we value, the pictures that we hang in our halls, those pictures of our families, those pictures of our friends, those things that we cherish, that we put on the tables in our homes, those are the things that we value. And the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the, the fruit of the Spirit and the knowledge of what he is calling us to be and calling us to do is what shapes our lives. And so we talked about some values that we could truly build our lives on, and that's where we ended last week. And so today... We just decided to pick up our living room at the Isaacs household and throw it here on the stage. If you don't know, we've got four kids and, you know, we, we do life uh, in a lot of fun. And so sometimes that means if you show up at our house and it's unannounced, you may find a little mess. Now, if we know you're coming, you're going to walk into a show home. All we need is about eight minutes. We've already trained our four kids. They know where to stash stuff as guests are arriving. Some of you have those same closets, and really, you've just, you're, we don't actually have an upstairs. It's just all storage for right when people show up at our house. Um, but, you know, if you showed up at our house, it might look like this. Now, I would hope that we don't have Cheez-Its crushed into the carpet, but there, there may be laundry. There may be a blanket that's not been put away. A picture may be askew from a ball that someone threw in the living room as they played indoor wiffle ball. It's possible that that's what's going to happen. But here's what I want us to all recognize today and just buy into this one truth. Life is not nearly as perfect as our Instagram and Facebook profile pictures. Can I get an amen from anybody? I mean, if you're anything like people that I know, I have actually watched people take multiple shots of inanimate objects just to get the right lighting. Like they're taking a picture of their food no one that you know, but you may be looking at him. And so just, it's, a, it's an amazing food plate and, and, and you want to share it with the world, but the lighting's not quite right. And so we can't just snap the first picture and post that because everyone is waiting to know what I'm eating for lunch. Like, I know that you are. That's why you follow me. I understand. I get it. You want to know which Mexican restaurant I'm eating at that day. I mean, it's just, there's, you know, there's only seven, and so it's one a day. And so I'm taking the picture, and, and the lighting's not right, so I've got to take another picture, and another picture, and another picture. And then I get the one that I really, really like, and it's perfect. And so what do I do now? I put a filter on it, and then I edit it some more, and edit it some more, and edit it some more, so that when I post it, it is the most appealing picture of chicken fajitas you have ever seen in your whole life, right? No, that's just food. But when we take pictures of ourselves, we take pictures of our home, we take pictures of our family, we shoot videos, we, what we do is we want it to look perfect. 
We want people to see so much that in our pictures that, that they want or that they, they like or that we want them to like us. And so we've got to put our best foot forward. And so, you know, I was just reading through some things that people post online about why they had to retake pictures. And it says, you know, they didn't like their hair. They didn't, their eyes were too squinty. They looked washed out. They looked too fat. They weren't smiling right. The kids weren't paying attention. Their husband's fly was unzipped. Grandpa was asleep. And a variety of other things that people use as excuses to take another picture so that they can put the best picture up. Now, we're just talking about one thing. We're just talking about pictures. But in our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we want to present ourselves as if we've got it all together. And that's why you can show up to church and you can put on that amazing smiling face And people believe that that is the picture of your life, that you're happy all the time and things are great and there's no problems in your home and you've got surplus in the bank and your marriage has never been better and your kids are well behaved. And I mean, they got up and ironed their own clothes for church this morning. It was amazing. They didn't burn the house down. Like things are great. And so we put that face on and the reality is inside of us, life is messy sometimes. Life's messy Family's messy, marriage is messy, parenting is messy, relationships are messy, our jobs are messy, but we convince ourselves that other people's mess isn't as messy as our mess. I'm going to say that again because that's pretty good. We convince ourselves that other people's mess isn't as messy as our mess, and so we hide our mess convinced that our mess is messier than their mess, right? You tracking with me who's on first here? You got me? And so we hide it. We shield it. And then we try to be authentic and we talk a little bit about it, but we never make it sound quite as bad as it is because we don't want them to know just how messy our mess is because we're sure that their mess is less messy than our mess. And so that's how we live our lives. And in doing so, we don't actually let people in to who we really are. And this is a truth that I believe all of us, if we could grasp it, it would change the way that we did relationships and life with one another. And let me just say right up front that everybody doesn't need to know your mess, but somebody needs to know your mess. Everybody doesn't need to know your mess, but somebody needs to know your mess. I'm not saying open up the front doors and let the whole neighborhood come in and see the cheese that's on the carpet. But I'm saying if you've got a good friend, you've got relationship with people, you've got, you're doing life together because life together is better. If you're doing that, what I'm saying is somebody needs to be allowed to come in and see behind the facade that you and I have put up and we're making people believe is the reality. But when we make it look perfect before we let people in, we actually push them away because they don't think they can relate to us. When we make it look perfect before we let people in, we actually push them away because they don't think they can relate to us. The depth of relationship just never quite makes it all the way there because they go, well, my life's a mess, but they seem to always have it together. They never seem to have trouble. They never seem to have problems. It never seems like anything is messed up in their life. Their, Their marriage is perfect. Their kids are perfect. Their finances are perfect. They love their job. They never say a bad word about anybody. They never, like they're just, they, they never miss church, I think. Like they're all the time at church and they're in a life group and they're serving and they're tithing and they're, oh, I don't know how they do all those things. Like I just can't figure it out. And I think for all of us, if we're not careful we, we don't embrace the mess. We don't, we're, we're afraid to embrace the mess. 
And here's the bottom line today before we dive into God's word and we look at some other scriptures and we talk about uh, some folks in scripture that I believe we can relate to. Authentic people acknowledge imperfections. Authentic people acknowledge imperfections. I'm not saying you embrace it and you just live in it and you never try to fix it and you never try to get better and you never try to allow God to heal you and you never try to, like, I'm not saying you're not striving to grow. I'm just saying you acknowledge your imperfections. Life together really is better, and I believe you need to be in a life group, but you need to find a way to show up and just, in some relationships I've got, here's what we call it. Assume step 20. You know those relationships that you have that you're already at level 20? Like, it's just, they know your mess, you know their mess, like, you've kind of figured it out, you're doing life together, like, you know all the backstories, you know, you've got all the inside jokes, like, all they have to say is one word, and you both crack up, like, and it's not funny to anybody else, but you two remember that one time with that guy in the place with the thing, right? And so you know why it's funny. You're already at step 20. And so we walk into new relationships, and we say, and rightly so, well, they don't know me like so-and-so knows me. I don't know them like I know so-and-so, and and it takes us a long time to get to step 20. But what if we just walked into the relationships in our lives? What if we walked into our life group, the very first meeting in a couple of days or a couple of weeks, and we walked in, and what if we just said, you know what, I'm just going to assume step 20. I'm just going to walk in 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 life with these other people, and I'm going to try to just find a way to be authentic. I'm going to acknowledge my imperfections I'm going to embrace them on a really personal level. And if I got to go back and fill in the backstory at some point as I'm explaining something, you know what, you guys don't actually know this. Let me just share with you why this is funny or why this is a part of my story. And then you can fill in the backstory. But just assume step 20 because authentic people acknowledge imperfections. And unfortunately, if you don't acknowledge imperfections, you push people away because they don't think that they can relate to you. Now, some imperfections we just need to stop pretending about. We just need to stop pretending about our imperfections, a few of these. A couple of things that I wrote here. We're just not, a lot of us, we're not nearly as spiritual as we pretend to be. Some of us, we, we want to put on like we're, we're all spiritual all the time. And as your pastor, like, I want that for you. But can I make a confession to you? I'm not as spiritual as you probably think I am. I actually was kicked out of a baseball game one time by an umpire. I was. I was. And I, and I got kicked out for just direct disobedience. I don't scream and yell a lot. I don't. But I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And so I was calling pitches. And if you don't know what that means, I was telling my catcher what I wanted my pitcher to throw. And so we do that with, you know, baseball sign language. And so I'm telling my catcher, well, the umpire that day, I don't know how you would classify him. He was an idiot, all right? So, <laughs> so I was calling pitches, and I was actually at this point the youth pastor of most of the kids on this team, all right? If that tells you anything about the context of the relationship. Pastor Trevor was on that team as a student. Um, I'm calling pitches. The umpire calls it a ball. And I started saying to my catcher, somewhat sarcastically, actually heavily sarcastically, Nathan, where was that pitch at? The subplot there was I was actually saying to the umpire, you missed that call, is really what I was saying. Nathan, where was that pitch at? 
And sometimes he would say, I think it was outside. Sometimes he would say, I think it was high. Sometimes he would say, I don't know, coach. Thought it was a strike. Um, And so a couple innings in, the umpire said to me, after I said, hey, Nathan, where was that pitch at? He took his mask off. He said, coach, if you say another word, you're out. I said, sir, I am so sorry if I've offended you. I apologize. Can you tell me where that pitch was at, though? You've never seen an umpire throw someone out as quickly as he did me in that moment. So after the game, I'm not even going to tell you that one of our elders was also thrown out in that game, defending me. I'll go ahead and tell that part because that's funny too. So he was helping coach, or he was maybe the head coach, and so he comes up, he's like, Blue, I am so sorry for my assistant coach and the youth pastor of our church. I apologize, but can you tell me where that pitch was at? He threw him out too. So anyway... We go out to the parking lot. We wait till the game's over. We come back, and I say to the kids in my youth group, guys, listen, I am, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have behaved that way. But when you tell the story about the time your youth pastor got kicked out of the game, you tell them I picked up second base and threw it, and I kicked dirt on the umpire's shoe. No, I, I'm, I'm probably not as spiritual as you think that I am. And I think that you may not be as spiritual as you pretend to be. It's an imperfection, maybe. It's something you want to be. We want to believe that we read our Bibles for three hours a day, and we pray all the time, and we, we never do anything wrong. But the reality is, if we're going to be authentic, then we need to acknowledge our imperfections, and we need to recognize that we are still growing in Christ, and we desire to be closer to the Lord, and we want to read God's Word and pray more and be more involved in the church, perhaps. But maybe we're not there yet. We're not where we want to be. I hope that's the case for all of us. And so we just need to embrace that. The second thing is, we probably need to embrace that my family isn't as perfect as we pretend to be. Maybe we want people to believe that we have no issues, we have no problems, we never fight, our kids are perfect, they never make a mistake. The reality is, that's all a lie. And it's okay, you don't have to pretend that you're perfect, you can embrace that imperfection. And the third thing is that I don't love every part of my life as much as I pretend to. Maybe there's some things that you wish were different. Some parts of your past, some parts of your present, maybe some lack of clarity about your future. And you don't love every part of your life as much as, that you, as much as you pretend to, as much as you make people believe that you do. And so the reality is we just need to embrace those imperfections. And everybody doesn't need to know our mess, but somebody needs to know your mess. There needs to be somebody in your life that you go, you know what? There's a part of my life that I don't love right now. There's a part of my past I can't get over. There's a part of my future I wish God was clearer about. There's a part of my present that I'm not sure how to, how to wrestle with this. I don't, there's some things going on in my marriage. There's some things going on in my home. There's some things on my job. And I just need to talk to somebody about it. It needs to be a safe place. It needs to be a person that can help give you wisdom and godly counsel. And maybe it's a professional or maybe it's somebody in your group. But I encourage you just to embrace your imperfection because the truth is you and I are not finished products yet. If you're still living, God's still working on you. And I think everybody in the room is still living. Some of you are asleep. You look dead, but you're asleep. But you're still living. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this. For I'm certain of this very thing, that he by whom the good work was started in you will make it complete till the day of Jesus Christ. There is a good work. There is something that God is doing in you and in me. And here's what I would call that a work in progress. The house that is being built, the life that God is building in you is a work in progress. And here's the deal. 
If you show up to a house that's being built in your neighborhood or somewhere down the road from your house, the reality is that depending on the day that you show up, it doesn't look like a house that you want to live in some days. Some days it doesn't have a roof. Some days there's holes in the wall. Some days there's holes in the floor. Some days there's no handrails on the stairs and it's scary to try to go from one floor to the other because it's a work in progress. But the builder knows what the finished product will look like and God knows that about you. God knows what he's trying to work out in you and it's for you to be conformed into the image of his son Jesus Christ and for your rooms to be filled with the rare and precious knowledge of the truth, the values that he desires for you to hold with your life as you build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You and I are a work in progress and that work will continue to proceed until the day of Jesus Christ. Until that day of perfection comes when God is completing the plan That he has designed to do. There's a good work, but it won't be completed yet. And so you are a work in progress. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a work in progress. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're a work in progress too. So those are just some feelings that are imperfections. Those are some things that are imperfections that we need to embrace. But there are some imperfections in your life and in mine that are the result of sinful behavior or, or wrong motives. There's some things that are poor decisions, and so because of that, it's not just that we hide some things, it's actually that we have some structural damage in our house. The foundation is jacked up. The walls are in disrepair, it seems. The roof's caving in, it's got holes, we're taking on water. And perhaps that was caused by some poor decisions or sinful behavior in your life or in mine. And so in that moment, what we have to do is we have to recognize that when we find our house in that condition, we can no longer just live with it in that condition without doing something about it. And my hope today is that me standing here kind of represents the voice of God, the the work of the Holy Spirit in you to say today is the day where you can allow God to begin the repair work in your heart and in your life to do some work where there are imperfections that may be the result of poor decisions or sinful behavior. I told you the first week that I'm not great with tools. I'm just not. I I do a lot more damage to myself and to others when I have them in my hands. It takes way longer. It costs us more money. We actually had the conversation in my house the other day. Some of you have experienced this conversation before. We had the conversation the other day where my wife gently told me I'm not as good as I thought I was, and it's actually better if we just hire it out. I mean, that's the conversation that we had. I got over that. Um, Well, I'm getting over it. I'm working through it. But here's the deal. I've been told that even though I'm not good at it, there are actually people in this world that know what all those tools do. I walk through Home Depot, some of those things, I'm convinced they don't do anything. They're just trying to make money, but other people, they walk through. If you've ever been to Home Depot before like 8.30 on a Saturday, you recognize the people that know what they're doing, right? They walk straight in, grab what they need, and leave. By noon, I'm still walking around because I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm looking for. But there are people that know. And so here's the reality. If your house is in disrepair, don't try to do the work yourself. But bring in somebody that knows what they're doing. It may be that you need a counselor to process some of these things. 
It may be that somebody here on our staff can help you just kind of determine what those best next steps are. But ultimately, when your house is in major disrepair, when God is needed, it's only God that can do that work for you. And for some of us, we've been trying to do a lot of patchwork on our own for years, and we're still taking on water, and things are still in shambles, and today is the day that you allow God to do that work. You say, well, the foundation's messed up. Well, here's what I was told. In a house, they can actually fix foundation issues. Now, it's costly, and sometimes it's time-consuming. They actually have to jack part of the house up and repair the foundation and then level it back out and bring the house back down and reset it, but it can be done. In your life, it's as easy as you acknowledging, God, my life is not built on Jesus Christ. Will you do a work in me? Will you forgive my sins, my imperfections? Will you forgive my efforts to be my own foundation and to allow hard work or my desire to do right or to be kind, to be the foundation of my life? And God, would you become that foundation through the work of Jesus Christ? Allow him to do that repair work. Maybe your values, maybe those things we talked about last week, those are the things that are out of whack. Maybe those are the things that aren't right in your life. And so what we do is we say, God, would you take the values that I hold, some of those which are relatively good things, or the values that I said that I held, but I didn't hold to them strongly enough, and now I find myself in a mess. And God, would you replace them with the things that you value? Because that's really what we want to do. We want to value the things that God values. And so we ask God to do that work. God, would you replace those values with the things that you value? Would you allow for, for the things that I want, the desires that I have, to be submitted to you? And God, ultimately, you orchestrate these and work these things together because of what you value for my good and for your glory. Because God can do the work. If God is the builder of our house, I promise you, he can repair anything in your life that's a mess. Anything in your life that's a mess. You are not too far gone. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not too far gone. I ran across this. Some of you have heard this before. But to set up kind of where we want to land today... I thought it would be interesting to look at some biblical characters that had some mess in their life. And so often when we read through scripture, we see these people, these individuals, as these unbelievable, perfect, godly, spiritual people. And so many of them are. And so many of them are the way that God weaved his story through the Hebrew people of the Old Testament and then to the Jews and the Gentiles of the New Testament and ultimately got the gospel to us in present day. But look at this. <clears throat> Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob lied. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer and couldn't talk. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and wasn't afraid and was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. I'm not going to do that, I promise. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer. Timothy had an ulcer, and Lazarus was dead. And God used every one of those people in a supernatural way to deliver the good news of the gospel to other people as he restored them, as he forgave them, and as he did a work in and through them that they could not do on their own. And so if God can use those people, God can use you. If God can touch those people, God can touch you. 
We read the first week that God is building us into the image of his son, Jesus. Well, he does that through a truth that is found in the verse just before what we read that week in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, 28, an often quoted verse of scripture. Today, I want to read it in the message translation or the message paraphrase. I want to read this, Romans 8, 28, and then I want us to discuss it as we close. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I love that translation, that version of the words that God uses to speak this truth to us. In our lives of love for God, he takes the mess of our lives and he works it together for his good. He works it together for the good. And so often we hear that quoted and we, we think that that means that there's no bad in our life or every bad becomes good. And here's the truth that I want you to recognize. This is paired together with the reality that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But we are not perfect like Christ was perfect on the earth. And so God, in order for us to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, has to take our imperfections and do what only God can do so that he can continue to mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. Think about the potter sitting at the wheel with the clay. We are an imperfect clay, but he has in mind what the end product will look like. It looks like Jesus, who is free of all imperfection. And so he must take our imperfections. He must take the bad of our lives. He must take even those bad decisions that we've made. But in our, love, our life of love for him, in the life that we are pursuing him in, he takes and he molds and he shapes and he forms and he conforms so that the finished product looks like what he desired all along, his son, Jesus. I've told you before from this stage that my favorite person in scripture, other than Jesus, is King David of the Old Testament. I love the story of David because I think that David's story connects so often to my story and to your story. What I love about his story is that we see in his story what we see in our lives, that so often we're defined by our best day, David and Goliath, or our worst day, David and Bathsheba. But the true value of a man or woman is found in those days in between, those faithful days that very few people read about that don't often make the headlines. That's the value of a human being. Well, the worst day in David's life had to be that day or those surrounding days related to his indiscretion with Bathsheba. Scripture tells us that he was up on the rooftop at a time in the history there or in the time of the year when kings go out to war. He's the king, he should have been out at war but he wasn't. So often I find myself in trouble when I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So he sees Bathsheba. He calls for her to come to the palace. He commits adultery with her. She's another man's wife, Uriah. And so then she sends word to him a little while later that she's pregnant. Now David's got a mess and he has got to cover it up. And so he calls for Uriah to come back from the war. And he hopes that Uriah would go and be with his wife that night and he would cover up his own mess. But Uriah stays and sleeps there at the king's door. The next morning, the king says, why didn't you do it? He says, my brothers are at war. There's no way that I could go. <clears throat> so the next night he gets him drunk, thinking that now that he's drunk, he'll go be with his wife, but he doesn't. He lays again at the door. And so David sends word back with Uriah as he sends him back to the army. 
He sends it back to the general and the commander, and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put Uriah where fighting is the worst, and at the right moment, I want you to call everybody back and leave Uriah there. The commander does, and Uriah is killed. Word comes back to David. He recognizes now that not only is he an adulterer, he's a murderer. And so after a season of time for mourning, he brings Bathsheba to the palace. And then the prophet Nathan comes to confront David. It's one of the most powerful interactions in Scripture, in my opinion. David comes, or Nathan comes to David and he tells him a story. He says, there was a rich man who had all the possessions that he would want, and he had a poor servant that was there living with, with him or living behind him, and he just had the one little lamb that he loved. And when some guests were coming to be with the rich man, he went and took the one lamb from his servant to serve at dinner. The prized possession of his servant. He didn't take from his own. He took the one thing that that guy had. And David is angry and he says, how dare that man? You tell me who it was and I'll punish him to the full extent that I can as king of this land. And Nathan points his finger at David and he says, you're that man. He said, God has given you everything that you could imagine. And if it wasn't enough, he would have given you more. And yet you took what was not yours. David says, you're right. He repents. He says, I'm sorry. Nathan says, God forgives you, but the baby that Bathsheba carried is going to have to die as a consequence for your actions. And so David mourns and grieves and pleads to God. He doesn't shower, he doesn't eat, he fasts and he prays and asks God to save the child so that the child would not die as a consequence of his behavior. One day the baby dies. The servants are afraid to tell David. And so they're standing at the door and David sees them. And he says, did the child die? And they say, yeah. And he gets up, he goes and takes a shower, he eats a meal. And they say, we're so confused, what happened? You were acting one way while the baby was still here, but now that the baby's dead, it's almost as if life moves on. And he says, what do you want me to do? The baby can't come back to me, but one day I will go to him. He said, so I, I've got to keep moving. And he goes and he lays with Bathsheba and she conceives, has another child whose name is Solomon who becomes the richest, wisest king ever to rule Israel. I think what we see in this story that relates to all of us as God is building our lives is that whether the imperfections in your life, whether the mess of your life was caused just by feelings that you feel or decisions that you've made, sinful or otherwise, God can actually do something with your mess. He can turn that mess into a message that can be used for his glory. But here's what I want you to see in the story of David. He acknowledged his mistake. He repented. He owned the consequences. He let go of the past and he embraced the future. Very simply, I believe that's what you and I are called to do. Wherever you've made mistakes, wherever there's mess in your life, wherever you need to readjust the foundation or the values of your life and allow God to do that in your heart and in your life, acknowledge your mistakes, acknowledge your imperfection. Authentic people acknowledge imperfection. Acknowledge that before God. And then repent and ask him to do a work in your heart and in your life and to transform you like only he can. Own the consequences. The, the reality is that I believe that God will forgive you no matter what you've done. But if you killed a guy, God can forgive you, but you probably gotta go to prison, right? There are consequences for the decisions that we make. Own the consequences. And then let the past be in the past and embrace your tomorrow and allow God to build something in your life 
that will last forever because it's built by him, the master builder. We are his house. Every house is built by someone and God desires to build your house, to build your life in a way that it matters. We exist here because generations matter. Some of you are here because there was somebody in your past, a grandmother, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle, a little old lady that taught your Sunday school class your mom or your dad or an older sibling, and they prayed prayers and they modeled for you what it meant to follow after Jesus. They showed you what a house built on the foundation of Jesus Christ looks like, and that's why you're here today. Others of you, you're here as the first generation of faith for the generations to come. Build it right. Build it on the foundation of who he is. Have the values that God values so that for generations to come, they can look back and say, you know what, there was a guy one time There was a girl back there in my family tree and she decided that she was going to change the story of our family for generations to come, change the trajectory of our family forever because we are made in the image of Jesus Christ. And today's the day for some of you. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we conclude our time together. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I need to trust God as the Lord and Savior of my life. I need the foundation of my life to be him. Maybe he's been an ingredient, maybe he's been a part of, but he's not been the foundation of everything that I am. And today I want to accept him as the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive my sins and lead me from this day forward to change the course of my life, not just for me, but for the generations to come. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Now, if you would say to me, you know what, Jeremy, for me, it's not a salvation issue but there's some repairs that need to be made in my life. I've got some things that are a mess right now and I just need to acknowledge that mess. I've been hiding from it, pushing it back for too long. I'm gonna acknowledge it today and ask God to do some repair work in my heart and in my life. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, we love you today. We thank you for who you are. I ask you now to forgive the sins of every person who acknowledged their need for you to do so. You tell us that all we need to do is acknowledge you And that, God, you forgive us and you become the Lord of our lives and you lead and guide us from this day forward. And so, God, we celebrate with heaven now for those who have made that decision. God, now I pray for every hand that was lifted that says, my life needs some repair work. And so, God, would you help us to quit trying to do the patchwork ourselves and just to allow you to come in and rebuild and repair every place that doesn't reflect Jesus Christ. God, thank you that you take our imperfections and you make them into all that you desire us to be. God, help us to acknowledge the things that we've done. Help us to own those consequences. Help us to let the past be the past and God move into the future that you're writing for us. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.